This is Creative Banter. This week, Ben reveals a super secret trick that will help ensure your YouTube videos look seamless, even if the content was shot several days apart. We also discuss the idea of camouflage as a fashion statement and how a minimalist wardrobe can be rather beneficial despite the odd looks you may get from people you work with, like your dogs and cats. Perhaps more pertinent to photography, though, we talk about Ben's third volume of his unpolished ebook series, how he may end up sleeping next to his bike in his forerunner, and whether we crop our large format film images. Let's dive right into this, shall we? Fifteen minutes before we started recording, I just got back from from a short ride, and so I'll just have have you know and all the listeners know that I am at this very moment wearing spandex. Um, oh boy! But I, I would imagine that that's kind of what they picture every time we record. Yeah. So you mean to say that you don't always wear spandex when you're at home? It, it is a lifestyle, but uh, but there's also I mean there's 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 laundry day. Uh, so that's know, true. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> so you kind of have like three outfits then I assume you have your spandex, you have your laundry day outfit, and then you have your backpacking outfit. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I wonder right. how many people realize, and I'm sure they do, that I wear the exact same clothes every single video I've made for the past, I don't know, many years, the same shirt, same pants, same boots, same socks. Uh, I don't know. You just, it, it's funny. Yeah. It's funny you say that because like that's not something that I paid attention to at all. But now that you say it, I'm like thinking back to your videos like, yeah, yeah, that that's true. Yeah. Like, you really don't change what you wear at all when you're doing your videos. Yeah. I'm uh, surprised more people don't comment on that. I mean, they comment like, yeah, you go to Zion all the time. You should go somewhere new. It's like, how about you wear a different shirt? How about you start with the basics? <laughs> um, how about how about changing up the underwear from time to time? Uh, that might be good advice. I don't know. But yeah, that's true. That could be. That could actually. They could have a point there. Yeah. <laughs> start. Start that might small. Be a necessary thing. Uh, well, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. Um, Change a sock or two, maybe. <laughs> wear different socks and. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. That. Oh, I, but that, that's. I, I will say that one of the great things about wool socks um, is that they will last a week, no problem. Uh, they, no issue. Some, something about wool. Wool is a miracle material. Um, so, uh, so yeah, I mean, find something that works. I stick with it, but I will also say, and, and I'm sure I've said this in the past, but I, I wear the same thing every time. Also, I mean, just cause it's, I'm happy with it. It works well, but also if I'm editing the video, I can go back and use clips from a different day, throw it in there and no one knows the difference. Uh, so that's true. But now they do. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now, now our 14 people know. Yeah. They, all, they know all the secrets. Know everything. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, that, that reminds me of uh, Matt Diavella on YouTube. He's a minimalist and he talks about or has done videos how he wears the same shirt, not the exact same shirt. He has seven copies of the same shirt Yeah, um, that he just wears all the time, pretty much the same outfit all the time and just rotates through like a fresh pair each day. Yeah. Um, just because it makes his life so much easier because you wake up and you don't have to think about what you're going to wear all the time. And like, I, I think of my own closet too. I have maybe three different pairs of pants that I go through uh, and I have a bunch of different t-shirts, but 
I don't have to think about anything. I know that each day I'm going to throw on a pair of pants, I'm going to throw on a t-shirt and a sweatshirt, and I'm good to go. Yeah. And it just makes life easier because I don't have to spend the 15 minutes or whatever it is the night prior or the morning of like my girlfriend does before she goes off to work. Yeah. And, and also, especially for the outdoor stuff. Um, I mean, because the, the clothes is very, the clothes are very functional from the standpoint of, you know, protecting you from the elements. And then also it's a matter of, you know, uh, usually synthetic stuff is going to be good as far as like the, the shirts and pants so that they dry quickly. So that, you know, if there's a, a stream crossing, you know, before getting to camp in the evening that you're not going to be like freezing all night and, and all that sort of stuff. So there is this balance between something that is functionally very, very uh, useful and very effective. Um, and also like, I, I don't, I don't want to stand out when I'm out in the field. I want to kind of blend in, but I also don't want to be wearing camo because that's kind of weird. I, you know, it's, it's not, yeah, you, not you don't want to blend in that much. I don't want to blend in that much. I don't <laughs> want to be wearing like a ghillie suit, you know, though I, maybe, I don't know. At times that could, could come in handy, just look like Swamp yeah. Thing or whatever. But uh, you, you see that a lot, not ghillie suits, but like camo wardrobe in Pennsylvania here. Like yeah. I was just going over to, uh, I had a doctor's appointment that I was driving over to and some guy was just walking out in uh there was like the snow snow suit essentially um that was all camo just walking out to get his mail down its driveway and it's, it's just not like, like a lifestyle thing i guess i don't know yeah like i don't i mean my dad has stuff like that because of hunting because of going up to like the adirondacks uh and various places in the past um because of being it it being so cold and everything but yeah I just, I don't know. I, not my kind of thing, I guess, but yeah, I can't, I can't imagine just throwing on camo and wearing camo all the time. But then again, <laughs> you, you wear the, wear the same, uh, backpacking outfit all the time. Yeah. So yeah, I guess it's the same thing. Yeah. Um, also based on last week's, uh, conversation, I, I've started doing a little bit of an experiment cause I've, I've been one to kind of experiment with things from time to time. And I, I started wondering, like, I wonder what kind of difference it would make if I basically did go more toward the vegan side just at, for a while to see what the results are. And uh, so I've been, since last week's episode, I've been 100% vegetarian. And then also a lot of the meals are basically full on vegan just to see if I see any differences in like the amount of energy I have. And I, I have a Fitbit, which has, uh, you know, you get all your, your stats as you sleep and stuff like that. So, you know, resting heart rate and all that. And, um, it hasn't really been long enough to see much of a difference or to get a feeling for if there's more like mental clarity or anything that comes from it. Um, but it's, it's kind of an interesting experience in just changing, uh, changing habits and also seeing if there are other things that can be done in daily life. Um, like for example, the, the protein bars that I normally have, I, I, I went and found some that are like completely, uh, plant-based, um, and just, just kind of making some of those, uh, choices here and there. And I don't know, it's been interesting. I, I haven't noticed a decrease in energy that all has been the same. Um, but it'll be interesting going forward. I'm, I'm not planning on sticking with it long-term, but I don't know. It'll, it'll be an interesting experience to see what comes of it. Yeah. And I think it's healthy to be shifting around these, your diet, your just daily habits too, every once in a while, just to see, like, just to try something out for a little bit and see, is this a better fit for me? Because 
going plant-based, going keto, or any of those like fad type of diets uh, long-term might not be the best for you or your lifestyle or me or mine. Yeah. Uh, but at the same time, you never, you don't know until you try it. Exactly. So, and, and also there's certain things to learn from it. And, and in the process of just kind of looking up stuff and all that, I found that the, the stuff that I take with me when I go cycling, as far as, you know, food that I eat when I'm out on some of the longer rides, uh, cliff bars, they are completely plant-based already. Um, so it's stuff like that. And like the breakfast I have before I go out cycling is completely plant-based. So there's, there's no real impact when it comes to that. Um, I think it's just a matter of, you know, making sure I have, uh, enough protein to keep building muscle and all that. Cause I'm trying to keep, uh, getting stronger in that regard for all the cycling stuff. But I don't know, it's just kind of a different, different change of pace. And uh, it'll be interesting to to see where that goes. But it's, I don't know, just like you're saying, it, it's it's interesting to change things up every now and then just so you have to rethink the way you th- do things because maybe there are some better ways. Um, just like when I go on, on trips, I kind of change the way I pack things a little bit just to see if there's a better way, better place to store certain things. And uh, sometimes I realize, hey, what I was doing before was the best way of doing something or, or maybe I learned something you know, different in the process, but I don't know. It'll, it'll be interesting to see. Yeah. That surprises me with the cliff bars though, too, mm-hmm. that they're uh, fully plant-based, especially because you, like whenever I think of high protein bars like that, I think that they're going to be adding some kind of dairy, some kind of milk or uh, a whey protein just because of that's the most common type that's out there right now. Yeah. So especially when they are like, you're talking 10 grams or more of protein, I typically think of that, but yeah, that's good to know. And and as far as like the actual um, uh, plant-based uh, protein bars, I, lo- I found that the um, the Aloha bars, um, there's, I think they had like 14 or 16, somewhere in there grams of protein. Um, and it had um, some of the, the completely plant-based ones, they start having tons of saturated fat because they start using some ingredients that aren't so good for you. Um, these ones didn't have that. So I, I do plan on in the long term swapping more to those. Um, but uh, but yeah, the, and the other ones I have, they're, they're closer to like, you know, 20 or so um, grams of protein. So they would have a little bit more in the, the more animal based ones. But, but yeah, just little, yeah. little swaps like that. Um, it'll, it'll be interesting. Yeah. The kind bars that I eat as well, the Whenever I have a protein bar or anything, it's typically like the kind breakfast protein uh, bars that they have. And those are eight grams of protein. And as far as I can tell, those are plant-based as well. Yeah. Those are always good. I always, I don't know. I always like foods that you can actually read all the ingredients and you know what they are. And pronounce them. (laughs) It's always, (laughs) you know what, yeah, you know what's actually being put into your body. Yeah. It's reassuring. Yeah. Yeah. So what else is, uh, what else is new with you? Uh, puppy accidents in the house. Uh oh, that's fun. <laughs> <laughs> and it's been pretty cold there, hasn't it? Yeah, yeah. We're actually set to get. So we just had a storm come through on. Was that Tuesday? Yeah, yeah, on Tuesday, Monday into Tuesday. Um, couple inches of snow. I don't know exactly how many, but enough to close uh, my girlfriend's school down for the day. Oh, wow. And then they had a two-hour delay yesterday. Uh, and then we're supposed to get more snow tomorrow. And it's been in like the, at night, it's been like 10 degrees. Uh, and during the day, it's been between 20 and 30. So 
quite chilly in my area. So, well, um, currently here in San Diego, it is 70 degrees. The high was 71 today, and it'll be a low of 46 tonight. Ooh, how That's are you going to last it here. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? I might not have to crack the window open tonight. I might have to close that thing all the way, but, uh, but we'll see on that. Yeah, I've just been seeing like all the, all the crazy weather that everyone pretty much else has been getting. And it's, I don't, I don't know how, how everyone deals with that, but, uh, but yeah, I know I'm not built for that. Um, I, uh, I, I'll, I'm, I'm very much a, a fair weather person. Uh, I would, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's pretty crazy what's going on out there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't, I don't mind the snow. I like it when we get snow, but the winter when you have the cold temperatures and it's just barren and yeah. gross and it's just that's when I really wish that I lived like in a southern state or out in California where you had that fair, better weather. But <laughs> yeah. at, this, at the same time, like I want my trees and I like my forests how they are yeah. on the northeastern side. But but yeah, luckily Emmy hasn't had any accidents in the house. She's been extremely well with that. Uh, Lucy, on the other hand, is struggling. Mm. Which doesn't make any sense to me because you have a dog that, I mean, obviously every dog is different and develops differently and everything. So you can't directly compare them, but you have a nine pound, 10 pound dog that can hold her bladder and everything through the night and be fine. And then you have a 25 ish pound dog that just decides to poop on the floor at random instead of going outside after you just had her outside. Yeah. And to have various accidents like she just peed on the floor because she got scared of the neighbor's dogs barking like she, this dog is terrified of her own shadow huh. and we can't figure out exactly why so yeah it's glorious like she was taken out at around 9 30 i took her out around somewhere around like 10 30 or so before i left and she um, didn't do anything because she ran back to the door because she was scared of the barking and then she didn't she refused she absolutely refused to go outside at any point until after i got back from my doctor's appointment at like 2:45 or so uh so at some point in between then when she was out of her house she had an accident and i didn't notice until later i'm like that's great <laughs> <laughs> well it's better than that than the uh the roomba uh, noticing uh so you know that's true there's, yes. there, there could be that yeah. yeah. Um, so earlier this morning, I finished the uh, third volume of the unpolished ebook series, which also represents me completing the last little bit of of work um, from the fall trip. And it feels good. <laughs> it feels good to finally be done with everything because, man, that was a lot of work from mid October. All the way through, you know, we're recording this in uh, middle of January, and just all all the work involved with, you know, producing the the zines, the print portfolios, mailing everything out, doing the videos. Um, so all all the videos are done. There's just a, a two more to go public, and then uh, then I'll have the volume three of the unpolished ebook go live. Um, but man, it's, it's, it's so good to be done with all of that work. And now I'm, I'm going to start following the weather in the next, um, I don't know, probably starting next week. And then 
keep an eye out, see if any storms are on the way uh, heading to Zion. But what I really would prefer to do is to go to Death Valley first. And the other day, I was trying to figure out if it's possible for me to sleep in the back of my Forerunner, which is not a very large vehicle. I mean, I, I sleep in the back of it anyways, but if I can sleep in the back of the Forerunner with my bike on the inside, along with all the other gear that I take with me on the trips, all the photo gear and food and stuff. So that's what you were doing in that uh, little story that you posted. Yes. So yeah. I, I have this this case that I can put the bike in where basically I, I take the wheels off and then it secures to what kind of looks like almost like a sled. And so everything locks down on that and then you kind of strap the bike into that. And then it has the, the wheels will go inside the um, sides of this case that zips up over the top of it. So they're designed for if you were to have to check your, your bike when traveling on an airplane. But I got that as a way of storing it inside my car because that way you don't have to worry about like the, the grease from the chain, like touching things. And it's just, it makes it just one big piece. that's all covered up and keeps it all clean. But I did find that if uh, if I go to Death Valley, if I bring the bike with me, and if there's some inclement weather, that yes, it is perfectly possible for me to have the bike inside along with me sleeping along with everything else. It's, it's a bit Tetris-y, um, but it, it is possible. So, uh, so that, that'll be fun to, to bring the bike along because I think that that might also help with the uh, getting rid of the first day funk just to know that you know, I'll, I'll have that with me for at some point if I want to take a day off or if I'm going to just on the end of the trip, the, the final day, just go for some rides out there. Um, but I, I think that'll be interesting. It'll be a, a continued uh, uh, experiment to see if that helps to get rid of the first day funk like, I, like it was gone on the, uh, the fall trip as well. But definitely looking forward to getting out there again now that all that work is done. And man, it's, it feels great that all that work is done now. Yeah, I can't imagine. Like I said to you when you posted about working on your the third volume of Unpolished, it'd be I'd be curious if you would do like a uh, just a one year journal of them in a physical form in an actual zine, like put everything together in one. Because um, I think doing a zine for each one would be a ton more work than necessary and yeah. probably too much. But I could definitely see every year publishing one not like you need more on your plate as it stands but yeah i could still see that being a pretty cool idea to do yeah that would be interesting and and actually i guess the way to even make that possible would be for me to make sure that i also keep the the written journal on the spring trip which i didn't do this past year just because it was one more thing to bring along um but i i think if i if I at least make sure I keep the journal on the spring trip and put it all together, I think, you know, I think that could be good. Now, are you envisioning basically doing it the same way I'm doing it now where I show the, um, the unedited photos of the film on the light, on the light box aside, the journal entries and all that? Is, is that kind of what you're picturing? Basically the same thing, but just in printed format? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. I don't know that there really needs to be any sort of changes. Um, I just think that it's, at least I know I would appreciate a more of a tangible physical item yeah. than uh, looking at the screen because at the screen you, you miss things. That's, yeah. Uh, yeah. That's interesting. I, it, it, that could very well be something. And maybe also it's something where I don't 
print many of them and maybe it's like an exclusively a Patreon thing. I don't know. That's that's a good that's a good point. And I think it would be pretty cool for that. I have to look to see how many pages. Um and it would actually it'd be a lot. I'm just thinking because the the ebook that I just finished of so volume three is if I open it right here, it is a total of uh well this isn't really actually it does show here. Uh so 75 pages. Um so that would actually I don't know. I'd have to see how economical that would be too. Because at a certain point, that's a lot of pages. That's just for one trip. Yeah, um, yeah. So, I don't know. I guess I have to look at the logistics to see on that. But it would be cool to have something printed, um, kind of like, you know, like an adventure journal sort of thing. Um, it also has me wondering if at some point, um, maybe the, the YouTube thing isn't viable, then something going in that direction um, would give that sort of experience, that first-person account. Um, mm-hmm. But at least by making sure that I keep the journal on the spring trip as well this year, um, I, at least it would give me the option of, of producing something like that. Yeah, I'm reading through, slowly reading through Craig Mudd's uh, Things Become Other Things. Finally oh, yeah. yeah. How, that how are you liking it so far? Oh, Ben, it's gorgeous. That's cool. <laughs> uh, the picture that seen so... looked really good. I've seen just like a, a picture of some of the, the spreads and then the cover and stuff. I haven't seen you know much more beyond that. Yeah, it's um, it's just really good. It's beautifully made, it lay flat throughout everything. Which mm-hmm. my my biggest thing with photo books all the time is, and we've talked before with the zine production too, and where you have a three quarter or full page spread of an image, and uh, you lose part of your image in the gutter. Yeah. And that just, that, that always bothers the hell out of me because I just think why, like, I would much rather have the image be a little bit smaller, fit onto one page so I can see and appreciate the whole thing and not lose so much of it. Because even with, like, there are a lot of lay flat uh, or supposedly lay flat monographs out there that just, you still lose stuff and they don't truly lay flat. Yeah. But with, with Craig's, because he is, working directly with the publisher and seeing all the process and he's been through this this is now his sixth production seventh production maybe Mm -hmm. maybe more than that he's been doing it for quite a while with this one printer um and so he knows what can be done and so even when you get to a full page spread you have like the you don't not you're not missing anything yeah so every single part of this book is just the typography, the feel of the book, just obviously the text and the images is just gorgeously done. Um, and it, it's funny because there are now three books that I have that are very like precious to me in terms of the quality of them and the production value, how they feel, everything. Mm-hmm. More than anything inside of them per se is just very like I'm very protective over. Like mm-hmm. I. Obviously, you have things become other things that's beautifully done. You have Kisa by Kisa, also by Craig, that mm-hmm. is just as beautifully done. And then there's a book called uh, Rafu from Michael Kenna. And it's a small book that was published by Nazarelli Press of Michael Kenna's nude photographs that he had done in Japan. And more than the content inside, the book is, again, beautifully uh, put together. And it's probably one of my favorite photo-only books that I have. And it's funny because my girlfriend questions why I put 
T-Bot in a plastic sleeve just when I'm like not reading it when I don't have it out. Yeah. Um, I'm like, because first of all, it's a signed copy. He's not, even if he, or when he comes out with a second run of it, he's not going to be signing those either. So it's a signed copy out of a thousand uh, copies. And it's just good. <laughs> yeah. I don't want anything to happen to it. But yeah, it, I'll, I'll be posting some more little snippets of some of my favorite spreads and some of my favorite uh, essay type texts, whatever you want to call them, that, some of his writings that he put, has in it. Um, but all of it, needless to say, has me constantly thinking. Like, I texted Dan the other day. I'm like, I really hate Craig because you have he has something that's on this other level that he's produced in my opinion and he uh i want to get there but figuring out my own path to getting to that point where i can produce a book that is or a number of books that are just as well done is going to take me a while but yeah it's definitely a goal of mine but it's great to have that degree of inspiration where you can see that, you know, there, there's someone else there. Well, there's someone that's out there that's doing that sort of thing. And yeah, so I mean, it's, it's great to have something to aspire to. Um, and then, you know, at some point find your own way of doing things to, to get to whether it's that level or beyond that level or, or who knows what. Um, but that's, it is, it is very impressive to see people, you know, following their own path and then getting to that point where they were able to produce something like that, where they have the, you know, the relationship with the, um, the, the company making the, producing the book and then all the different techniques and all that sort of stuff. But that's, that's something that you, you don't just stumble upon. It's something that, you know, takes years and years of, of, you know, just experience and, and practice and, and, and experimentation and everything else. Yeah. Yeah. So that's really what I've been oogling over in between uh, sending off emails and doing a bunch of stuff to get ready for the, what are we on, the fourth issue of Nature Vision magazine. Man, so, that's just flying by. I mean, it seems like just yesterday that you're talking about it, you know, that it's going to be coming out pretty soon, but now you're already working on the fourth one. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's going smoother every day. Put it that way. That's good. Uh, it's nice, especially because we have people who listen to this, who uh, follow Nature Photographers Network on Instagram and through the email list or are part of NPN, um, who are now starting to email in with so article submissions and stuff like, how can I take part? How can I be featured in the magazine? All that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, and it's always fun too when you find a photo book that you would love to add to your collection and to actually see once it's finished and you get to email that person or somebody and be like, hey, would you like to have your book reviewed? And then they send it over. That's that's very nice. That is <laughs> it's cool. It's definitely a perk. Yeah. Yeah. I just did that with um, Bruce Barnbaum with his book. So that's going to be coming along at some point. He has a um, collection of his photographs that many of which have not been seen before uh, in book form. He partnered up with Silver Grain Classics, the uh, German magazine. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's getting there. I'm looking forward to how this year goes along and who we all get to have in the magazine and what other voices we all hear from that we haven't heard from before, which is 
the biggest goal that I have with all of this. So yeah, and and it it'll be really cool if, especially as the you know more and more issues come out, um, if people at some point look at that magazine as this is the place to discover new um, new talent that you know we may not have been familiar with before. Or if that just kind of becomes even even more of of something that it's known for, because um, I know you guys are working really hard on on that aspect of it, as opposed to just the same the same names and the same stories that you, you know we keep hearing everywhere else. Um, yeah. So that's that'd be a very a very uh, a very cool angle, I think, um, and and different yeah. from a lot of the other publications that are out there. Yeah, I gotta figure out. I yeah, I gotta figure out which uh, NPN member. I'm going to be interviewing for this one and finish up doing the reviews of the monographs that we have or have coming in for this one. Different little details like that. But for the most part, I think we have just about everything set up for this issue already, which we're quite ahead of schedule, thankfully. That's good. And I have a bunch of mystery uh, writers that I'm not quite sure where I'm slotting them in at. In at. Uh, depends on when I get everything in. But yeah. 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 So there was a uh, a question on the Discord. I don't have my phone in front of me right now. I have no clue where it is, which makes me a horrible uh, elder millennial. Um, <laughs> but uh, but there was a, a question on the Discord, and it had to do with uh, cropping images. And I, don't, I think it was a more recent uh, suggestion that was up there. So I don't think it's one that we've we've talked about in the past. Um, so I'd be be curious to hear your thoughts when it comes to uh, cropping of your own images and any any sort of thoughts that you have on along those lines. I tend not to do any major cropping with my images. Um, speaking strictly when it comes to film, um, obviously with the Rico, I really don't care about the quality of the images or how everything turns out um, because they're more just documentarian things. Yeah. So speaking strictly with film, I really can't remember any time that I have done any major crops. I mean, obviously, I make sure everything follows the 4 by 5 ratio. And I've done a little bit of experimental crops here and there, but nothing that's been published, I don't think. Mm -hmm. uh, not necessarily because I am afraid of cropping or feel I don't have the detail necessary. Even with flatbed scanning, I know I have plenty of detail uh, based on the experiments that I've done. Uh, but just because the composition that I have on the film and in my mind prior to exposing the film is pretty much what I want. And if it's not, then most of the time I just enjoy the moment and move on. Um, I can't really think of any moments or instance where I've needed or felt the need to crop afterwards. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I'm, I'm, I'm pretty much the same way. Um, Usually, I frame a photo for a very specific reason. There, there are certain things I'm trying to keep outside the frame. There are certain things I'm trying to include. And I pay very close attention to the edges of the composition when, I, when I'm taking the photo. And I think some of that has to do with simply the process of working with large format, and in particular, 8x10, because I, I can't even see really the whole composition at once when I look at the ground glass, there's like this dim spot I have to kind of move my head around to see. And so as a result, I pay very close attention to the edges. 
Um, and then I use that little framing device when I'm trying to figure out how to frame it. So I, I, I'm very intentional with what I'm including in the composition. And almost every single time when I have the photo, when I see it on the computer, when it's all scanned, I'm very happy with it. And it's exactly what I had envisioned in terms of the composition. Um, now, sometimes there are some slight distractions that, that creep into the frame a little bit. So I'll, I'll, I'll minimize those, I'll crop those out. But I've never really done a big crop, except for there's, um, there's a couple of photos I shot on 8x10 where it was intended to be a panoramic image. So I was planning on just cropping out in the middle and just using that. Um, but as far as like regular photos, to me, if I end up having to crop an image significantly after the fact, it usually is a sign that I didn't do a very good job in the field in properly seeing that composition and anticipating any distractions or anything along those lines. So for me, a significant, a significant crop is a sign that I didn't do my job right. Um, yeah, I feel that. Yeah. And so that's, for, that's one of the things that, you know, I, I always have the sense of satisfaction where when I see that, that sheet of film, I'm like, yeah, this is great. You know, I, I don't feel like it's too, too tight of an image or too loose of an image. It's just exactly as it should be. And, and the reason this came up is um, there is one image that I uh, took on my fall trip. And I um, initially, I just kind of set it aside. I wasn't, I scanned it and I tried to edit it, but I just, I wasn't super happy with it. So I just said, hey, you know, this is, maybe I just don't really like this one. But when I was uh, working on uh, volume three of the unpolished ebook, I go through and I photograph all the original film on top of a light box. And then I um, have that in there. And when I was looking at that image, I'm like, I know what's wrong with this image. It has too much contrast and it doesn't have enough color separation. And it's this photo of a uh, several small maples with red leaves that are up against a canyon wall that has a little bit of a diagonal emphasis to the canyon wall. And nothing really stands out. The leaves kind of blend in with the background. The trunks kind of blend in with the background. Um, and when I looked at the original film, it was just, it was a little bit too contrasty. So it was a little bit too harsh. Um, but I took it into Photoshop. I uh, reduced the contrast a little bit. I cooled down the image a little bit in order to build a little bit more color contrast. And then the only other thing is that there is this um, bright spot along the bottom where there's a little bit of, of white sand from the wash that pokes into the frame. So I cropped that out. And then there is this uh, distracting uh, log that was kind of in the background and it was all bleached and white and it really stood out. So I use the curves to darken that down, kind of like burning it down. Um, and then, then I was happy with it, but it's just a very minor crop just to get rid of something that I knew was going to be a distraction while I was setting up the photo, but it was just, you know, there's no way around including that in there. Um, but that's, for me, it's just like those little things that I crop out are, are things I probably noticed to begin with when I was setting up the composition. Um, yeah, I, I, think, I think the biggest change for me, especially with 4x5, and it's so much easier working with large format between 4x5 and I'm sure 8x10 makes it even easier in that regard of making sure that your edges are pretty clean and yeah. you have that space. And I've said it before, I learned that from you and watching your videos, and it has made a major difference. And I always try to tell people whenever I give any type of critique uh, to keep that in mind. It's 
obviously it's much more difficult on looking through a viewfinder. Um, LCD is a little bit easier, but because it's so small, you can miss a lot of things. Yeah. But, and even on four by five, there are times that I'll miss things. And that's the type of thing that I might crop in a little bit tighter. Uh, typically not by much though, if I can clone it out or do some other kind of digital wizardry that will irritate a lot of diehard uh, traditionalist photographers but um, yeah yeah but that's like you that cropping for me is very minimal i don't i just don't i don't see the point there's to me i'm not making like any money off of my photography itself so i'm not worried about not getting a shot or having to go back later on and try again if i really want to or if i think the composition could be better off later on so and, and actually, as, as, you, as you were describing the whole thing about like the edges and stuff, I was thinking about how when, you know, my experience of looking through a viewfinder, whether it's a mirrorless camera or an SLR, when you see everything, it's really hard to, to notice those small, you know, details and stuff around the edge because there's just so much going on. And I almost wonder if, if when you have the even bigger viewfinder, whether I don't know. There's some viewfinders that are so big you can't see everything at once. And maybe for those, maybe it's a little bit beneficial in a way where you can kind of move your eye around and notice things. Um, but it, there is something about when you were forced to just, you know, study all of the edges because you can't see them all at once and just see all those little details. Um, I, I think it makes you notice things a little bit more. Um, there's, there's this thing uh, that I was... I had noticed when I was on my last trip where um, I just, it was toward the end of my trip and I was just relaxing a little bit in the shade and just trying to take in everything around me. And I was just, I was looking around and just looking at all the details. And at some point I decided just to stare at one particular area off at the distance. And it was just like this tree on a hillside or whatever. And I figured I'm just going to stare at this and just I don't know, just to see what happens, almost like a, a meditative sort of thing. And it's interesting because as you move your eyes around and you take in all the various details of something, you really can only pay attention to that one small thing that you're looking at. But if you stare at it long enough, after about a second or so, you see everything. It's kind of a bizarre thing where if you just stare at one small thing, you know, at some point your attention kind of drifts from that and all of a sudden you see everything around you. It, it was kind of like this weird, um, I don't know, it's like a weird sensory sort of thing where all of a sudden you become very aware of everything in your peripheral vision. So I don't, I don't, I have no clue what that was, but it was a very interesting and very sort of calming sort of experience where you're able to finally take everything in, but by not really looking at any of it directly. I, and I don't know where I'm going with that, but it was just it reminds me a little bit of the experience of looking at the image on the ground glass a little bit at a time. But in this case, then you start to actually notice all the details in, in, a, in a very interesting way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's just very easy when you're seeing everything through a, through a screen like that, through LCD, even like on a smaller, even medium format, I tend to miss things. Um, yeah just because you're able to take in everything at once. And so, I don't know, I guess you just don't, you don't have to pay attention to all the details like usual. Yeah. Uh, you, ha you have to put a little bit more effort into doing it than you do um, 
when you're putting in a lot of effort to look through everything uh, when you don't have a choice but to do that. But yeah, yeah. One of the other things on Discord that was an idea that someone had put forward was it's actually something that Jeffrey Sidoris and Bill Wadman do uh, in their podcast on taking pictures, which mm-hmm. I am a quite a big fan of. I typically listen to while working out at the gym on Wednesdays. But um, the idea is to highlight an image, a book, a photographer, a channel, or something along those lines toward the end of future episodes. Kind of in the same vein as with my ideas for Nature Vision Magazine in terms of discovering new talent, discovering new things, uh, being aware of other work that we find interesting or inspiring and kind of adding to some community building, Yeah, as, as they say here. Um, so, yeah, I definitely, I definitely agree. I think it's a great idea. I love that uh, Jeffrey and Bill do that on their podcast. They always feature a photographer of the week that they're enjoying. Um, so I do think that's something that we should add in here. I agree. I agree. I think that's a good one because there, there's enough stuff throughout the the week where I'll you know I'll stumble across something that I think is is pretty cool. So I, I think that would definitely be a a good inclusion. I, I I don't have anything off the top of my head, but uh, but I think it's definitely something to to pursue in uh, in future episodes, unless you happen to have uh, anything anyone or anything in particular you've you've been thinking of lately well i think we should make it easy the, well before we get to that the first question that we have too is with on taking pictures they do just one so it, they agree each week every other week whatever one will have either jeffrey or bill will have someone to uh, present so to speak should we do two where we each come with something or is that too much I, I don't know. I, I almost feel like that might be too much. Okay. All right. Yeah. So, we'll, we'll stick with one then. And I'm just going to make it really easy for this week because this is kind of a spur of the moment thing. And I'm just going to re- recommend people listen to Jeffrey and Bill's podcast. That's a good one. On takingpictures.com. I'll post a link in the show notes every Tuesday or so. They have a massive, massive uh, backlog as well. Over 300 episodes then... They ended up bringing the podcast back, I want to say sometime last year, I believe it was, after shortly after Jeffrey and um, Sean Tucker stopped doing their podcast together because of having too much work to do separately. So it's, been, it's definitely filled a nice little void that Deep Natter had left. So if you enjoy yeah. what Ben and I do and what we talk about, uh, a little bit more focused on photography for uh, <laughs> on taking spandex. pictures. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Plus less spandex, less puppy talk, unfortunately. Uh. But still, highly recommend checking it out. Yeah, I I remember I was listening to it was the uh, it was the episode where they're kind of getting back into it again. I, I listened to to that when I was on the backpacking trip. And so I remember wandering along the river and, and listening to uh, to a couple episodes or so that they did, and uh, always always a very good listen, always something to to be learned from it. And uh, so yeah, yeah, definitely a very very good recommendation. Yeah. So that's it. We'll leave it at that, and we'll have more recommendations for future episodes. Then sounds that's good. That's all you guys want. Yeah. All right. I think we're good there. Yeah, I'd say so. 
I hope you enjoyed our creative banter. You can learn more about Cody's work by visiting his website, CodySchultz.com. And you can find my work at BenHorn.com. For further discussion, join us at Patreon.com slash Creative Banter. It's a place where we can interact with you, the listener. And although we greatly appreciate those who contribute by joining a tier, discussions are open to everyone, whether you're a paying member or not. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you around next time.